Let's talk about Riverside.fm, the leading podcast and video creation platform that's changing the game on how creators record content. Riverside.fm allows you to record studio quality audio and up to 4K video on their platform. Now you can interview a guest a thousand miles away and it'll sound like you're sitting in the same room. It's as easy to use as Zoom, but gives much higher quality audio and video recordings. Did we mention that they have a mobile app? This allows guests to connect directly from their phone and record content from anywhere. After your content is finished, you can easily grab clips to share them across your social media channels. So if you're looking for a hero platform for all your recording needs, from podcasts to webinars to other video content, you should be using Riverside FM. Sign up today so you can focus on your content and leave the quality to Riverside FM. Use promo code SHIPIT and receive a 30% discount on your first three months of your subscription. That's promo code SHIPIT to receive a 30% discount on the first three months of your subscription. Back to the show. Welcome to episode number 10 of Talking Blues. I am Josh, and I'm always joined by my co-host, Peter. Peter is here today. Alex is not here today. He's been having internet troubles all day. So we we just decided that we needed to get this episode out because the Southampton game happened a few days ago. Uh, The Sevilla game just happened yesterday, so we'll definitely get into that. And we also want to preview this game on Saturday, which I'm a little worried uh, about now because uh, Manchester United yesterday beat... Uh, Paris Saint-Germain, and that that kind of worries me a little bit for this game on Saturday. Uh, Peter, how are you today? I'm doing well. I'm not going to let the fact that Alex isn't here destroy me from, as usual, me being well and me being excited to record. <laughs> so I'm happy that you are excited. Uh, I'm, ha- I'm happy that you're happy. Today we have an interview with Neil Barnett, who has been a former Chelsea insider for over 30 years, and he's also on Sirius XM's The Football Show. So right after we're done with the intro, stick around and you'll get to hear that interview with him. So first, let's start out. I'm not going to go through the whole game because I'm sure you Chelsea fans know about it already. Chelsea did end in a draw against Southampton, something I mentioned last episode, which uh, was the exact opposite that I didn't want to happen. This is a team that we definitely could beat, and especially going into this coming weekend. Uh, from there, the the next weekend, you know, if you're going from when we played Southampton that day on Saturday, uh, was that compared to Manchester United, this is the team we should have beaten. We should have gotten the three points and gotten, you know, gotten out of there, I guess you can say. Uh, and that did not happen. Timo Werner did play well. Both the Germans scored. Timo Werner did twice. Could have had a hat trick. That goal, that goal was ruled off. And then Kai Havertz got one in the 59th minute. Another thing that Peter and I mentioned was stop Danny Ings. I think we all mentioned that. He got a nice goal. We had the Shea Adams goal where he was. Uh, it, it was a bad pass by Kurt Zuma. Keppa you know, it's either you run right at the ball or you kind of you know stay back and see if you can save it. He misread it I think in the last minute and didn't really know what uh, or last second really and didn't really know what he wanted to do and we know what happened <laughs> Vestergaard did get it uh, get a goal kind of basically the opposite situation of what happened with Chelsea against West Brom as Chelsea was coming back this time it's Southampton scoring uh, in extra time in the 90th minute plus two uh, and and that's going to be your Southampton game Peter your thoughts on that we played well we Dominated for most of the game, but then for the last like 10, 15 minutes, I'd say around that, around that time, we kind of just 
like we did what we're supposed to do and defend, but they were all on top of us. They had all the position. They had all the chances. And then well, we 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 didn't we we got scored on. I mean, that's pretty much all you can say. We got scored on. We shouldn't have gotten scored on. We just should have won that game. We played well. And I think it's just kind of what it's going to be like a lot of the season. We're going to play really well offensively. We're going to get a few goals. And then every once in a while, we're going to have some errors in the back, whether that's from our center backs, our goalkeeper, even though I can kind of use this as a transition into the Champions League game that we just played and say that with our goalkeeper and Kepa there, he should have chosen to either come out or stay back. But in any of the situations, I'm not confident in him anymore. And I think that's like the complete opposite than with Mendy, who played, who was in goal versus Sevilla. And I think I was way more confident in him being in the net. I was just much more confident. I didn't think that there was going to be a massive error or a massive mistake that he was going to make. But on the other hand, I'm starting to see a trend now with Zuma where he plays really well and then occasionally he kind of just he just like has a mental lapse and he just messes up and he has a big mistake. It almost cost us the goal in that game, which would have been the deciding factor. Again, just mid hit miss at a clearance that came out right to I think it was uh I think it was Lucas Acampos who hit it well, but Mandy came up with a good save. But I mean he can't be making those mistakes. And I mean he kinda but he, other than that he's been playing well. But so I feel like sometimes he just just sometimes just mix up those mistakes, which can be really costly in big games. Yeah, and I mean, you're completely right. And I think uh, going into this game, we knew Kepa was going to be in there due to the injured Mendy. And it, it was nerve-wracking going into it. And he proved our expectations, I guess you can say. And they weren't positive ones. They were exactly what we expected. Uh, they, they were negative They were negative thoughts that we had going into this one. And, and Kepa proved us correct. Uh, he's not the goalkeeper for Chelsea uh, I would even have Caballero maybe starting over him, and it's it's very uh, upsetting to see that this goalie that Chelsea paid so much for, that had such high hopes for, and since he's kind of started at Chelsea, it just hasn't gone well whatsoever, and um, you know it it winds up now, and I I don't like looking too much into the Premier League table in the beginning of the season, Duke just because it you know kind of goes all over the place. But if you want to look right now in the table, Chelsea is eight. Uh, their last five games have been two wins, one loss, and two draws. So, you know, it's it, they have been underperforming. And it, especially with the top three, if you want to go into, uh, you, you would think Liverpool, Man, Manchester City, and then us, I would say, as Chelsea, we need to win these games. These two games between, I, I talked about it many times, but West Brom and then now Southampton, where they end in draws, we need these three points. Uh, and, and, I mean, you look at Everton, they are playing so well right now um, in the first five games, you know, winning four and then drawing one. And that's a team that, for example, they're taking what they're given. You know, and they're and they're playing really well with what they have right now. And, you know, like I said, I don't pay too much attention to the Premier League table this early into the season, but they are, you know, they're they're number one and they're they're on top there. So um Chelsea Chelsea have to win games and it, it's an, gonna be another big one this Saturday. So we'll we'll get to that in a little bit. But now since we're done with Southampton, let's go to the Champions League first game for Chelsea this season, their group stage game, uh, which we believed that was the easiest group uh, for Chelsea in the UEFA Champions League. But we end in a draw with Sevilla, 
who I think were the Europa League champions last season. Am I correct on that, Peter? Yeah, you are. You are. All right. So Sevilla are or were the um, were the Europa League champions. I had trouble pronouncing that for a second. Uh, and we ended in a draw to them, 0-0. Uh, great game by Mendy. Uh, you know, I, I don't have CPS All Access, so I wasn't able to watch the game. But uh, just, just going back and looking at the uh, the stats and the saves from him were very good, very, very good. And very low shot totals. It's going to be 6-5, to five. Chelsea win that. Uh, possession, actually, Sevilla had better possession with 56% to 44. And I'm going to have to say, if you're going to face a team in the group, uh, in the group stage for Chelsea, I would say the hardest team in our group is definitely Sevilla. I mean, they're a good team. Uh, I would have thought that we got the win, but seeing teams in the Premier League that we've drawn to, uh, th- this wasn't so surprising to me. Well, I mean, you can't really, I don't like people comparing Sevilla to the likes of like Southampton and West Brom because Sevilla, Sevilla are a really, really, really good team. I mean, I think in their Europa, Europa League run, they beat uh, Wolves, Inter Milan, Manchester United, who are not like, who are not bad teams. I mean, they're really good and they, they have a set idea. They're really well managed. They have a good tactics. They know exactly what they want to do and they do it well. And I mean... Even then, the best team in Europe, Bayern, they 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 drew. But obviously, since it was the Super Cup, they went into extra time and lost. But I mean, holding Bayern to a draw through ninety minutes and then barely losing in extra time—that's no, that's no like small feat. That's they—they're a good team. Though I agree, we should have won. It's not. I don't like saying. I don't like people uh, seeing people say that. Oh wow, they're they're not a good team. We should have we should have easily won this game. No, they're a good, very solid team. Even though I would have liked to see us win, a draw is not the worst thing. They, I saw glimpses of things on both sides that I, that were good, and I mean like against a team in Sevilla who's, although yes, they're not one of the best teams in the competition they're still a really solid team and we played well against them too it wasn't like we played badly yeah and you're completely right I mean Sevilla is a really good team if you want to go into last year in La Liga they finished fourth and usually you know those top three teams in La Liga where it's Real Madrid Barcelona Atletico Madrid Sevilla actually ended ended uh the season tying in points with Atletico Madrid with 70 uh, and then Barcelona with 82 Real Madrid with 87 so you're completely right I mean they are a very good team uh, if you want to go into the great category, you know, that, that could be debatable, uh, whether you're talking about in all Europe or in the La Liga um, or compared to Chelsea. I would say they're a very good team. Uh, it, one thing I would like to touch on, though, is is the actual, you know, showing from where the scoreline is of nil-nil and then the shot totals of six to five. Very good game defensively for Chelsea, which we not we have not seen uh, so far this season. It, you know, it hasn't been very good for Chelsea on the defensive side, but luckily no mistakes, no mistakes from Chelsea in this game. So I think that shows some improvement and, and that shows that, you know, if we can keep this up into the Premier League, you know, kind of take what we've done right now in this Champions League group stage match and bring this to Saturday's game again against Manchester United, you know, th- then we can start winning games. Chelsea has, has been very shaky defensively, and that's something we need to fix, and I think we saw that uh, this game. Well, yeah, and I think it's more important to get a clean sheet over doing well offensively because we know how good we are attacking, and it's it's that's not what we've been struggling with. We haven't been struggling 
struggling to score goals. You've been struggling to keep clean sheets and struggling to defend and keeping other teams off the score sheet. Which I mean, that's that's even though we didn't we didn't score, and I would have liked to see us score. I think a clean sheet is one of the best things that could have come out of this game because, in my eyes, the clean sheet or at least holding them to a good amount of goals that is like beatable in other games is more important to me than scoring because even if it's a down game and we didn't score, it's we have a better attack than we do defense by a mile, and seeing our defense play well is great. It's great. And then the one thing I did see offensively where, you know, could have been a scoring chance, you know, d- debatable, I would say, is uh, Timo Werner. The, the one thing that I did saw, uh, did see, they were actually, so never mind, uh, you know, scratch that, actually. We, we did have some good headers on that. Uh, and I think that was actually the main point of uh, times that we could have scored goals. But one time I did see an offensive player that, you know, could have done really well was Timo Werner. Uh, we were on a run. He got the ball right about in the you know, right side, maybe middle of the box area, uh, outside of the box, like right at the end and kind of did a very poor touch on the ball. And, you know, I I don't want to blame him for anything, but he definitely could have gotten more on that. Uh, And it was very much to the left side of the goal, very far out and it was very weak shot. Um, So if there's one thing I would have to, you know, kind of, you know, uh, a touch on or or kind of um, go, go, one um, complaint, I guess I could say. I was kind of thinking of that word. I didn't really know what to say there. But, um, you know, if, if I had to have one complaint, it would be if Timo Werner could have a little more on that ball, maybe we could have gotten a goal there. I mean, yeah, I agree. He could have gotten more. But, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, that's a tough shot. That's a really, really tough shot. And I, I don't expect him to score from there. But, I mean, like, it would have been nice. But I mean, overall, just touching on him, I think he looks a bit tired because he's been playing. I don't know how he's definitely played the last few games. He looks kind of like dead. I mean, that's kind of the best way to say he just looks tired. And I think I don't I feel like we need to rest him. But I mean, like, it's not the best game to rest him coming up against Man United. We're going to need to score. So I think we need to rest him because he look he just looks kind of he just looks kind of I mean, I don't know. He just looks kind of tired. Which, I mean, I don't blame him. He makes runs constantly, always trying to find the best position. And I'm not sure if I want to rest him against Man United, but I think in the long run, I mean, that's going to be the best option. Because if he, it's not worth it having, even though he is probably better than team, uh, than Tammy or Giroud, I think Timo on fresh legs in a later game is going to be more important than playing him against Man United. And I think we need to give him a break because he looks tired. And he's been playing nonstop and working his ass off. <laughs> I mean, you're very, you're very right, Peter. I, I think that, um, yeah, he he runs up and down the field constantly every game. I mean, that's that's kind of the role of what the striker position does. And yeah, I think he's played in at least, and and we when we have to also factor in uh, on international too with Germany, he's started uh, as well, I believe. So he's had to have played at least, um like started maybe five games in a row now, maybe more at this point. I mean, I and I could be wrong. You let me know if I'm wrong about that. But uh, one one last thing, if we want to talk about Sevilla, I just want to actually touch on something that Ben Chilwell said uh, to the media that you already kind of, you know, touched on very, I think very similar to what you said is uh, he said in quotes, I think 
the important thing was a clean sheet. People were looking at us after conceding three on Saturday, but definitely we were solid and they didn't have that many chances. So kind of exactly what you touched on, almost word for word, I would say. Um, And Chelsea did end in a draw, and that's our first group stage game in the UEFA Champions League. So, you know, we kind of look on that and hopefully build it, and uh, we get a win in our next Champions League game. But where I definitely want us to get a win is on Saturday uh, at Old Trafford on on at twelve thirty p.m. and that'll be what a uh, five thirty uh, in England uh, UK time. But if you're watching in America Eastern time, that'll be twelve thirty. We will now go through our lineups. Peter, you want to start with the formation. Sure, and before I start with the formation, I just want to say it's now, for us, it's five Chelsea games in a row that he's, Timo has started, and that doesn't include international break games, but five games for us in a row. And so now moving on to the lineups for the game, I think it's going to be, it seems like Lampard's preferred formation is just a 4-2-3-1. Yeah, I, I definitely think it's going to be a 4-2-3-1. Thank you for that stat. That's what I, that's what I was waiting for. I would hope you clicked on that, so that was perfect. Yeah, so... He's definitely started a lot of games, and like you said, five games for for Chelsea in uh, in a row. In goal, I I don't think any of us had him uh, in goal for our lineups against Sevilla, but I mean, he he had the late fitness test and he came back and he played well, so I think Edouard Mendy is going to get another start at the weekend. Yeah, played very well against Sevilla. We already kind of touched on this, and I have him as well in goal. I think uh, Edouard Mendy has proved that he is the Chelsea starting goalkeeper. Kepa has not proved this, touched on this in this episode. A lot of uh, repeating from me, but I really hope Kepa does not start. And we sh- and Mendy showed uh, yesterday, Tuesday, that he's very fit for this game. Uh, he was fit for that game, and I think uh, you know a few days off could make sure he's 100% if he wasn't already yesterday uh, for this game on Saturday. Yep, and that's the most important thing overall. If if coming out of the game he felt any discomfort and he feels it, I do not want to risk him playing one game to have to deal with Kepa the entire season. I think overall focus on his fitness, but I think he'll be fine. He looked fine during the game, and I think he'll be able to start. But uh, now moving on to my uh, fullbacks. We'll start at fullbacks at... Right back after Reese James got the start at Sevilla, I think we're gonna go back to Aspie there. I think that's gonna be kind of something that we might do is have Reese James, who has kind of more, I'd say, more attacking prowess with his very, very good crosses, and have him start in more Champions League games and have Aspie start in uh, Premier League games, which I think we'll see here. So Aspie at right back and then left back. Ben Chilwell, he's been very, 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 very impressive both ways. He's been very solid defensively, and he's probably been one of our best attacking players from a position where I wouldn't say you're supposed to be that attacking, but he constantly finds himself in good positions and constantly has great balls in that give other players chances. All right, so I'm going to – I feel like I'm copying you now, Peter. Uh, I'm going to have it right back, Aspilicueta uh, as well, and then at left back, Ben Chilwell. Um, too, I, I think Marcus Alonso right now. You know, he he can come off. He can he can be a, a substitute for right now. We don't really need him uh, there, and he's always been shaky defensively. And I think uh, against a really good Manchester United uh, offense, I, I don't think we really want him on the on the pitch on Saturday. <laughs> Definitely not. I do not want him as a liability. But uh, to the center backs, I think we'll see Thiago Silva, who looked really good. Frank Lampard liked what he saw out of him. Uh, he was able to start 
and he played really well, obviously keeping the clean sheet. So I think he'll start again. But I think we might uh, switch up the other center back, and instead of Kurzuma, who, as I mentioned before, has been having some pretty big errors, I think I think we might go with Antonio Rudiger there. Wow, a, a nice a nice uh, change of. I guess scenery there. Uh, Antonio Rudiger has been very weird. Uh, I, I wouldn't say very weird player himself, but the the way that he's been kind of portrayed at Chelsea uh, looked like we were trying to sell him, and transfer window is over, obviously, and that'll start up again in January. But it's very weird because he hasn't even been called as a substitute uh, in games. Hasn't even been present. Uh, haven't seen him at training much, or I have seen him at training, but. I don't know. I'm very, I'm very actually nervous that, that you said that. That's interesting, but I mean, we'll see. And he's a very good center back, so I don't know what the deal is with Lampard. You know, obviously having uh, spent so much money uh, over the summer that we're going to have to clear it somehow. Already putting players on loans and and stuff like that. So maybe they're trying to get Rudiger out for that reason. But I'm going to have Kurt Zuma. And like you were saying about Lampard, yeah, Lampard actually said after the last game, we want him to play uh, in as many games as possible, alluding to Thiago Silva. And he also said, I thought he was very good today. I spoke about quality and experience before the game, and he brought both of those and affects others around him, which I think he did. Um, So, yeah, and I think Thiago Silva starts for Chelsea. I already said that, but I think he played really well against Sevilla, and I think he starts on Saturday against Manchester United. Moving on to the two holding midfielders, I think we'll see uh, a start from Mateo Kovacic, who came on as a sub, and I think we've kind of rolled with Jorginho and Conte for a while now, and I think we he, Frank might want to switch it up and put in Kovacic in there. And I think I think I'll go with Jorginho as the other as the other sentiment who who you can see he 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 has he's kind of off and on if if I'm being honest sometimes he has a really good game and makes some really good passes and sometimes he gives the balls away and it gives the ball away and has silly stuff but i mean i think overall i think it, it's obviously it's going to be between Jorginho and Conte on the other side but i think i think frank might uh, want to stick with Jorginho in there and see how he does but i'm not really sure on that one yeah, I'm actually going to have Frank really has a system down of who he wants in, who he wants out. And I, I think I'm going to actually stick with that for this one. I'm going to have N'Golo Conte starting uh, in this game against Manchester United. I think if there's any game that we would really want uh, N'Golo Conte to start, it would be against uh, Manchester United. Uh, and then I'm going to have Jorginho as well. And I think uh, before the season, we were kind of going on about this really with no competition between the two of Jorginho and Kovacic. If you're going to compare them, I think... All three of us, uh, Alex isn't here to, you know, kind of agree or disagree to that. I mean, Peter, you'll respond in a minute. But I had Kovacic higher than Jorginho, you know, kind of on my list if you want to talk about midfielders. And then Frank Lampard has really started Jorginho every single game. So I think he just continues with that there. And I'm not going to say Jorginho hasn't disappointed. Uh, you know, he hasn't been a disappointment really for Chelsea. He's had some nice balls in. And if you want to talk about the, the most recent one, it's going to be uh, that connection with Timo Werner. So I think they stick with, he sticks with that uh, Lampard and um, it's going to be Jorginho and Conte. Yeah. I mean, as you said, I thought I was going to respond. I will. I mean, I think I had Kovacic on par with Conte going into the season. I thought they both played really, I mean, 
Conte was kind of injured, but I mean, when he was healthy, he looked really good. And I think Kovacic obviously was our player of the season. He played really well. I don't, I couldn't say, I was kind of surprised. I've been surprised so far to see how little Kovacic has been playing, but I think maybe he'll, he'll get a start in here. And, yeah. uh, oh no, I, I was just going to say, yeah, very weird. I mean, I, I've completely forgot about that. You just brought that up. Uh, I, yeah. Chelsea player of the year last year and hasn't even gotten that much playing time this year. Yeah. Very weird on, on Lampard's half too. Cause yeah. Wow. Okay. I right, go ahead with your uh, yeah your your attacking midfielder. Sorry about that. No, no. I I mean you're right. It just is weird. It's weird to see that. I mean, who knows? Maybe there's something in training or something. But anyway, moving on to the three in the center. Maybe the two wide players, one attacking mid. Eh, doesn't really. Not really sure. But on the outsides, I'm gonna have Christian Pulisic on the left too. I don't understand Frank sometimes. I mean, he clearly you clearly get the best out of Pulisic when you put him on the uh, on the left. That's his preferred side. That's where he plays better. But yet he's always putting him on the right, and I just don't get it. I mean, so much, he plays so much better on the left. You get so much more out of him, and I and then he he constantly puts him on the right, which I don't I don't like to see. But and I think I think we he should put him on the left. Just you get the most out of him. But who knows? And I mean. On the right, which I've also been surprised to see him not get as that much playtime as Callum Hudson Adoy, who's played really well when he when he when he's been playing and he hasn't gotten that many starts. I mean, I would love to put Ziyech here, but I I don't think he's going to be fully fit to start yet. And I think I would love to see a game from Callum Hudson Adoy because he looked very dangerous when he's had the ball. And then I think in the center, I think even though I don't like it. Because it seems like Frank sometimes favors him. I think Mason Mount will play in there. And I mean, it's kind of like what I was saying about Pulisic. Pulisic played on the right because Mount was playing on the left. Which I don't understand because it's like it's kind of like some favoritism. Because it's like Chelsea English player and a homegrown player. And I think Havertz will get a rest because he's been playing a lot. I've, even though I don't like to rest players in big games, I don't. I don't want to see players get rested in big games like against Man United. But I think Mount will play in there, and Havertz will get a break. So I'm gonna actually have if if I'm gonna this is this is a little tough for me. Okay, I'm gonna have on the on the left side. I think Mason Mount will be there. Uh, if I'm going to go middle, I think it's going to be Kai Havertz. He was, from what I've read, very good against Sevilla. Uh, and, and he was kind of, you know, the standout player, if you're going to talk about uh, attacking-wise against Sevilla. So that's why I'm going to have him uh, starting at the and, – and I also have Mount, too, like you were saying, one of Lampard's favorites. So I, I have him on the wing side, if you're going to, you know, talk about that, even other three attacking midfielders. And then we both had Ziyech starting against Southampton. We were very confident about that. And then he came on later as a sub, and and I think you're completely right. Actually, I'm I'm gonna copy you on this one. I guess I'm gonna have Hudson Odoi starting. He has been playing very well for Chelsea, and I think uh, if we're, if we're playing against Manchester United, Frank isn't gonna want to risk uh, starting Ziyech and having him either sub off early and kind of I guess you can say wasting a sub really early in the game, like after you know uh, 30 minutes or so, or maybe they sub him off after the first half. But I rather I rather, you know, and I'm not Frank Lampard, but I rather have Ziyech kind of coming on as a sub again. And I think that works well for Chelsea. Um, 
<clears throat> having him come on as a sub is better than him starting, like I said, and, and uh, kind of repeating stuff, but having him start and then coming off early. So I'm going to have left side Mount uh, in the middle, Havertz, and then on the right side, Callum Hudson-Odoi. I agree with you there. I agree. I'd rather I'd rather have ZH, ZH come on on his sub for the last 20, 30 minutes than have him start and come off after 30, 20, 30 minutes. I think overall it's just better to have him come off as some later in the game than it is to start him. But moving on, the lone sticker up top, I kind of mentioned it earlier when I said that Timo's been looking tired and I want to rest him. I think up top we're going to... I'm going to go with Giroud, actually, not Tammy Abraham, because I think... I think overall, with with Ben Chilwell coming in, I think Ben Chilwell has shown how dangerous his crosses are. And I mean, in Giroud, we have one of the best aerial players in, maybe not even in the Premier League, maybe in the world. And I mean, I think he can make use of that. Uh, Having maybe Ben Chilwell with some balls and maybe Jorginho play some balls over the top or something. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him start there just because of being able to win those crosses that Ben Chilwell can whip in. Yeah, so it was tough for me to, to, to decide this. I think they're going to keep starting Timo Werner. I know it's it's kind of crazy, but I think it's also very realistic if we're already starting him for these games. I, 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 again, I don't think that we're not going to start him against Manchester United. And I could be wrong. Lampard could be going for, and, I, and I'm kind of, kind of having this here with having <clears throat> Callum Hudson-Odoi. Ooh, my voice. Uh, <laughs> having Callum Hudson-Odoi instead of uh, Hakeem Ziyech, um, that... Lampard is either going to go with a very rested squad for Saturday's game, or he's going to go with a squad that, you know, he might he might uh, want to start because of talent-wise. And that would be probably, if we're going to have Ziyech in, we'll have Werner in. But I'm actually going to have Timo Werner in uh, and, and not have Ziyech in. So I'm going to have Timo Werner starting at the striker position. I would, that, would, that wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, probably our best attacking player. And I mean, in a game like this where, it's, where you're obviously going against Man United's prolific offense, you're gonna need you're gonna need those kind of players that can score you goals and keep you in the game. Alright, so thank you, Peter, for joining me. Again, Alex will hopefully be with us next episode. Hopefully his internet will be better. Uh, and right now we do have an interview with Neil Barnett, like I mentioned right in the beginning of this episode. Uh, he's a former Chelsea insider for over 30 years and he's on Sirius XM's the football show. Don't worry, you'll hear that again from me in the intro just in a few seconds. But now we will go to our interview with Neil Barnett. We are back now with a very special guest, Neil Barnett. He was a Chelsea Football Club insider for over 30 years, and he's also on Sirius XM FC, the football show, which he's a host on that. Neil, how's it going today? Yes, it's, I'm, I'm glad we're getting back to club football at the weekend because I think international football over the last couple of weeks with no crowds has been about as empty uh, an experience as you can get. Um, great if you're Connor Cody winning your first important caps. Uh, but for everyone else, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, but for everyone, Rhys James, get in there. But for everyone else, it's it's been empty, I think. Yeah, definitely. It'll be good uh, coming up this weekend to see some more Premier League action. So I guess let's 
go into, I guess going back a bit into Chelsea's summer business, kind of your opinion on it, Kai Havertz, obviously not getting off to the best of starts, obviously the biggest signing of the window. So what do you think of him so far? And, you know, is he going to need more time to adjust? We still don't know where he's going to play. Um, I'm really excited by, by where he's going to play. Um, apart from the second half at West Bromwich Albion after going 3-0 down, Frank Lampard's only played 4-2-3-1 with, with uh, obviously Havertz then looking like a number 10 between Ziyech and, and um, Pulisic uh, with Werner or Abraham at centre-forward. Or if it's Abraham, then Werner battling for one of those positions with Pulisic and Ziyech. I mean, but Ziyech actually played number 10 in the Ajax 4-4 at Stamford Bridge. So let's not rule that out. Um, my own feeling, I, I, I'd rather see us play 4-3-3. And I have a number of reasons for this. One is that I think our defence is, um, I suppose technically I'd say crap. Um, and as a result of that, the more solid midfield you get, three rather than two, would just give them extra extra protection. Um, typical example, that rather shabby header by Marcus Alonso against West Bromwich Albion that went in square uh, and led to Albion's first goal. There were only two central midfielders there. If there had been three, maybe that situation could have been rescued. And, and, and um, we just haven't been good enough defensively, really, to play behind a two-man midfield. I also think there's only one player in the club who can really play in a two-man midfield, one fit player, and that's obviously N'Golo. Uh, and the others just don't have the legs for it um, and, and don't have the defensive nous or defensive ability for it, I don't think. I also have a problem that our midfield, if you have two in midfield, one of them's got to be creative. Got to be really creative. If you think back to the great four-two-three-ones, I mean, it was really created in, in 1998 for Zidane in, in the World Cup to be the number 10. Uh, and Deschamps was, was, was the holding player. And Petit was, was creative. And then uh, in, in 2006, when it was still Zidane, uh, and they got to the World Cup final again. It was Makaleni holding with Vieira being creative. Uh, and if, if, if you look at um, any of these teams, um, the obvious one now is, is Bayern Munich. Uh, and in the Champions League final, both Thiago and Goretzka were creative. So I don't think you can have a central midfield of two where nobody ever gets an assist or a shot on goal or does anything productive um, and, and in some cases never gets in the tackle, but that's something else. Um, so I would love to see a three-man midfield and, and either side of Kante, the number six, two number eights, proper number eights. And for that, Havertz and Mount are the obvious two, both creative I think Mason is far superior when he's coming from deep, seeing the play in front of him, and his greatest asset is his passing, um, not his closing down, high press, running off the ball to 
running off the ball when the opposition have the ball more than when Chelsea have the ball. So I, I'd love to see a midfield three of Havertz, Kante and Mount and then your front three. But I think Frank's going to go with the 4-2-3-1 where, I mean, I can see his reasoning completely, Kante's greatest achievements uh, have been in a four-man midfield. Won the league with Leicester, won the league with Chelsea, won the Champions League, with, uh, won the uh, World Cup with France, all in a two-man midfield. It's worked for him. Yeah, just one thing there, wouldn't that leave the midfield a little bit exposed because of N'Golo Kante, really the only holding midfielder in that uh, system? With He's not players. a holding midfielder. Alex, I don't think yeah. I don't think he's a holding midfielder. I think he's the world's greatest ball hunter. Um, I don't think you need a holding midfielder. Uh, you need Kante to be behind the ball, but you don't need him to be stuck on the halfway line when the ball's in the opposition penalty area. He's rare, ready to ball hunt the second it comes out. He's not a holding midfielder, but you don't need one if you've got the world's greatest ball hunter. Uh, he played, France won the World Cup playing 4-2-3-1. Who was his partner? Paul Pogba. The only time Paul Pogba holds in midfield is when he can't be miffed to go forward, which is about 75 minutes on most games, but we won't get into Paul Pogba here. But, um, but um, no, no. Pop, Kante, Kante's fine. Kante's great. Build your, build your team around Kante. He's a, he's a one established world-class player. Um, so Frank Lampard really likes to involve Tammy Abraham and then kind of put uh, Timo Werner on the wing. At the moment, because he's, right. he's minus Pulisic and he's minus Ziyech. But yeah, yeah, exactly. that's, that's and, been and fine. By... And Ziyech could be coming back this weekend too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I definitely see that happening. We were talking about it on the podcast earlier. I mean, you know, why, why bring him back from Morocco if he's not going to play? Unless they want him longer in training this week. <laughs> we don't know what's going on. He got an injury. We don't really know what the injury was. Uh, he's back in training. He's played, was it about 25 minutes uh, for Morocco? Uh, we don't know how fit he is. Uh, I, I think a lot of people make assumptions on team selection uh, where they haven't seen training. Everything comes out of training. Everything. And uh, The idea that Frank Lampard doesn't know best by anybody is an absolutely ignorant idea. So you see when Christian Pulisic comes back, when Hakim Ziyech comes back, that uh, Timo Werner will be going back up front? I think there's a big possibility. Um, I think there's an enormous possibility. But, you know, in English football, you need height. You need height because set plays are so important. And uh, if, you know, we've signed, we've signed, a, we've signed a, a fantastic historical, historically, 36-year-old centre-back who doesn't actually have height. Um, the only player players in the team with height are Zuma. Um, and when he plays, Abraham. If you have Thiago Silva for Zuma and Werner for Abraham, good luck on your set plays. And if you think of if you think of how how strong the Chelsea team was that went from 2004 to 2015 with Ivanovic at right back, as well as the two centre-backs, uh, and for a spell with Anelka on the right wing, or Kalu on the right wing, 
Uh, and, and then you have people like Matic in central midfield. And Lampard himself as a six-foot-one-inch central midfielder. You know, we, we, had, we had height everywhere. And people talk, talk about Wenger and Tika Taka at Arsenal. But you go back to the Arsenal Invincibles, Lauren at right back, he was a tall geezer. Ashley, all right, he wasn't. But in midfield, 4-4-2, Pires on the left wing was six foot one and a half. Bergkamp was six foot one. And Henri, six foot two. And your two central midfielders, Gilberto Silva and Patrick Vieira, you wouldn't want to pick a fight with either of them. You'd be looking up at them, I promise you. They were great on set plays, that team. It was only after that that Wenger suddenly decided to have a team of three foot seven inch players. Are you confident with Mendy in that compared to Kepa? Um, in truth, have you ever played in goal? Have I ever played in goal? Yeah. I have not, no. I have, actually. I've you have, Alex? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'd be confident with you in there. <laughs> I mean, uh, Kepa has talent. We know that. Kepa has talent. Yeah. Um, um, I, I, my, my concerns about Kepa are, has he improved since he's come into the team in the first place? Has he got good hands? Does he catch? Can he come off his line and assert himself? Does he make mistakes on his line? I think he's got a way to go. I think he's got a way to go. It hasn't worked out. He, he was a highly respected goalkeeper in Spain, and he still is. So uh, I don't think we should give up on him. But uh, Mendy came in, and in that first game at Tottenham in the League Cup, uh, Lamela, midway through the first half, got away from Jorginho in the penalty area. Shock. And uh, shot across uh, the goalkeeper. And Mendy, kind of going the wrong way, managed to get a leg out and kick the ball away. Maybe a save that Kepper might have made, although his one-on-one record ain't great. But maybe a save. Kepper's made some really good saves around his six-yard box. So maybe. Uh, but the ball went up in the air and got headed back. And Tamori hit a really bad overhead or sliced the clearance and it went over his head and it was up in the air. The second it went up in the air, Mendy was off his line and he didn't quite know where it was going to land because who could? It was spinning and it was dropping fast. But when he got there, he got there so quickly, he had time to set himself and he didn't even in the end have to catch it above his head because he was in such a good position uh, in contrast to the strikers. But had he had to catch it above his head, he would have done the only goalkeeper in my lifetime at Chelsea who would have done that is Peter Bonetti. Okay, so moving on, where do you see Tony Rudiger's role in Chelsea? Do you, do you, does he have a role at Chelsea anymore? We haven't seen him starting. And I do think he's a top uh, centre-back at Chelsea too. I wouldn't say he would start over Zuma, though. I do like Kurt Zuma and Thiago Silva, that pairing. I don't look at it that way, Josh. I look at it this way. You've got to have a physical centre-back in there. I, 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 I divide centre-backs between a physical one, if you want to call them an old, a centre-half, one who attacks the ball, one who takes control of the situation, but in a, in a physical way. Uh, and then you have the coverers, the partnership. Christensen is a coverer. 
Thiago Silva is a coverer. Rudiger isn't really strong enough to be that physical player. So Zuma's the only one. For me, Zuma is the only one who plays like that. But you want to play out from the back. Kurt's legs don't really work like that. Nothing makes me madder than goalkeepers giving Kurt Zuma the ball two yards away from them, as if that's progress. No, it's not. Push him up. Give the, give the ball to Eden Hazard two yards from goal and let him dribble through everybody and score. But don't give it to anybody else two yards from goal. It's, it's, God, it's just so stupid. Um, and don't give it to Sadio Mane two yards from goal because that's the most stupid thing of all. But, but so Rudiger gives you commitment, enthusiasm, uh, bravery, um, for some reason in the last year, he seems to think that he's Glenn Hoddle reincarnated and he keeps hitting 60-yard balls, which, quite frankly, when the goalkeeper's given him the ball two yards away, is just wrong. Um, in the cup final, he gave away the second goal with an absolute non-challenge uh, on... Um, I've forgotten who it was now, but, but on Bellerin, I think it was. Um, he he uh, he had a shocker against Liverpool in the league, um, and I'm afraid his heading ability for me is poor. So I don't think he's any better or any worse than our other centre backs. I think he's I think he's been a good servant up till now, but you know Christensen is the best of the others on the ball by. A, by a long, long way. But he, he's, he's not really got a big personality. You know, if, 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 if I were playing against him, the first thing I'd do would be swear in his face loudly. Um, and um, uh, and um, Tamori, I think Tamori's probably got the most all-round talent, but he's still making mistakes when he plays, like the overhead kick sliced overhead kick at Tottenham so they all need to improve uh, but for me I'd have liked to have got a really commanding centre-back who can play football in the transfer window I think we missed the boat there I really do I'm, I'm not sure it's Koulibaly uh, I think that he makes mistakes as well Koulibaly but he's obviously he is a fantastic player Koulibaly but um, we, we need we need, I mean, Thiago Silva's got the sort of leadership qualities that John Terry brought without the, without the, the communication, the language. Um, but I think, I think Thiago Silva's always made mistakes, actually. Um, I, think, I think he's outstanding, but I'm not sure he's quite world-class. Um, we just, we, we need John Terry resurrected somehow. Do you like that we put Mitchy Betchwai on loan to Crystal Palace? I mean, he didn't really have a role, especially, you know, with Lampard here. He, I don't think he really had him in his plans. I already mentioned Tammy Abraham. So do you think Crystal Palace is a good club to put him on loan? Uh, I know about Mark Bright, uh, who's very close to Steve Parrish. The, he's like a consultant to him, an advisor to him. Uh, the Palace chairman, and Mark Bright, really thinks that Mitchy Betchwai is has got everything Crystal Palace need. Um, I have a theory uh, uh, about clubs who 
are down the bottom of the table in in a league. I think if you're a struggling club, and Palace are, you know, they've done well, but they're a struggling club. If you're a struggling club, you need two things to ensure you survive. One is a really good goalkeeper will win you 10 points a season, and they've got that. I think Guaita uh, is the best Spanish goalkeeper in the Premier League, David De Gea. I can't understand why Spain keeps selecting David De Gea and, and Kepa Aritha Balaga when they could be s- selecting Victor Guaita. Uh, I think he's a really good goalkeeper. I think he's greater than the other two. Um, but, uh, uh, and he's one of the reasons, I mean, Palace have a good defensive record. Gary Cahill is another reason. Oh, there's a centre-half who could uh, win the ball and be commanding and organised. Gary Cahill. I wonder what his history is. And, um, and then um, you need a goal scorer. You don't need a good centre-forward who's going to link play. You need a goal scorer who will win you 10 points a season. Uh, and if your goalkeeper and your goal scorer win you 10 points each a season, the rest of the team only need win you 20 points and you survive for another year. Spend some money and improve your team. Uh, I think they signed Mitchie because they thought they, he'd win them 10 points a season, Palace. As it is, Andre Ayew's done ever so well since he's gone there and he's doing that job. So at the moment, Mitchie's not in the team. If he can't get in the Palace team, he obviously ain't going to get in the Chelsea team, is he? Um, so going over to the right back position, we got Reese James, obviously another Spaniard in Aspilicueta. Um, Reese James, obviously the younger prospect who's kind of coming up, um, through the ranks. Do you see him having a bigger role than, uh, Cesar Aspilicueta this season at Chelsea? It depends on Frank. You know, if Frank suddenly decides that he's going to go back to three at the back, they can both play easily. Um, if Chilwell's not fit, I mean, Chilwell's struggling again with this injury. If Chilwell's struggling, the way he's, he's Frank's um, responding to his other left-backs, I can see Aspilicueta at left-back. Um, I don't like Aspilicueta at left-back uh, because he always comes inside. But if you had if you had Aspilicueta at left-back and Havertz on the left wing and Havertz hugging that touchline on the left wing, that'd be quite interesting. Uh, uh, so that your, your full-back underlaps rather than overlaps, that'd be quite interesting. I was a, I w- I was a bit mm, not happy at West Brom uh, when Aspilicueta played left-back and, and uh, it was first Timo Werner and then Callum Hudson-Odoi on the left wing. I just thought it'd be neat, better if Havertz had gone there. Um, but that shows what I know because we came to 3 0 down and drew 3 all with that, didn't we? So that was pretty brilliant. Um, that was my favourite 45 minutes of the season so far. Uh, um, basically, because it was the one 45 minutes of the season where Mason Mount didn't play ahead of the ball and played a midfield behind the ball. And I thought it was the one 45 minutes of the season where he was, by a distance, the best player on the pitch. Uh, I thought he was terrific in that 45. Uh, had a hand in all three goals. Um, not a hand. Havertz had a hand in the final goal, but Mason had a foot in all three goals. Um, but uh, right back, I think that um, Aspelicueta has been just a solid citizen, hasn't he, ever since he came to the bridge. Um, uh, uh, he's, he's never been as influential as Branislav Ivanovic, who he succeeded, but he's been a solid citizen. Um Rhys James needs to improve his defending and make his defending as good as, as Dave's. 
but Rhys James is a real talent. He's a real talent going forward. Uh, and I'm really excited to watch him. Uh, and he seems to be, uh, he seems to be a kid with his feet on the ground. Um, I think, I think he's been terrific. Uh, but he's big. He's got a big body. You know, he, 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 he's got, um, let's face it. He's got a backside to match. It's Vanovich's actually. Uh, Dave might, might have succeeded him in position. Uh, Reese has exceeded him in, but, um, so he needs to play regularly to stay fit. And I think what you've seen this season is when he's played more regularly, he's got a lot fitter, a lot faster. Uh, and, uh, it is in his interest and the team's interest that he plays regularly. I don't think he's a stop and start player. So finally, I want to ask for your relegation teams. And then if you can, I know it's early in the season too, you know, we're only in October, but then your, your top four, do you see Chelsea sliding in there? In the well, we do four? this, we do this on, on the whole Sirius XM FC presenters do it at the beginning of every season. And of course, last season, I was the champion. Um, I don't mean to put everybody else down, uh, <laughs> but they were clearly not as good as me. Uh, and now I have to defend it, and I think I'm already struggling. I think I'm, I think I'm having a Gareth Southgate uh, on this one. Uh, what I said was that the three who would go down would be Fulham. Um, uh, who was the other team that came up? Fulham, not Leeds. Uh, West Brom. West Brom, Fulham, West Brom. And my third one was Brighton uh, because I didn't think they'd get – I quite like the goalkeeper, um, the Aussie, uh, who Ryan uh, – is it Ryan? Matt, Matt Ryan? I think, he's, I think he's a good goalie. Um, so there's their 10 points a season. But I couldn't see them getting 10 points from some striker, but Mope's actually got some goals this season. So they might be all right. Uh, and uh, <laughs> my producer, Pete Curry, um, he said Sheffield United. I thought, what? But so far, they've got no points. Have they got a goal yet, Sheffield United? I'm not sure they've even got a goal. And, and uh, they, they, they look shocking. They look absolutely terrible, Sheffield United. But I don't think that will last. Um, I, I don't know who the third team is. I think I'll stick with Brighton and see for now, but, but I don't think it will be them. And my top four in order were uh, one Man City. Well, I got that one wrong. Two Liverpool, three Chelsea, four Man U. And I may have got that one wrong as well. Um, you know, everyone goes on about who will Pochettino become the manager of? Which Manchester club is Pochettino going to walk into? Um, Manchester United's last trophy was uh, the Europa League, wasn't it? In uh, in uh, 2017, uh, and then they came second in 2018. Um, Manchester City's last trophy was the League Cup last season and the domestic treble the year before that. Maurizio Pochettino's last trophy was, he hasn't won one. He hasn't won one. Why the hell are they going to take him as manager? Do these people who are going to make this decision really know how to run football clubs? Unbelievable. Now, you go three miles down the road from Tottenham to Arsenal, and whatever 
the potential of Mikel Arteta. He's come in and won a couple of trophies straight away. Um, so I, I just, I honestly think that most clubs in the Premier League are so badly run football-wise at the moment. It's unbelievable. Um, and, and Pochettino gets talked up for all the top jobs. If, if Jose Mourinho wins a trophy at Tottenham this year, Pochettino's reputation is going to fall again. I think it's fallen with Arteta. I think it will fall again. Um, so, I don't Why haven't Manchester City bought a proper centre-back? Why have they spent money on Diaz, who's meant to be really average? I don't know. Uh, these things amaze me. They amaze me. Why doesn't Carl Walker do something with his hair to make him look a little more attractive? You know, I, just so many things in football amaze me. Why is Shakira with Gerard Piquet? I've still not worked that out. Neil Barnett was a Chelsea FC insider for over 30 years. He's now on Sirius XM's FC Radio, the football show. I can't contain myself. Thank you so much for coming on today. Pleasure. All right, so that was our interview with Neil Barnett. We hope you enjoyed it as much as uh, as we did. Uh, he did have some jokes that he cracked in that one. Um, so so that was pretty funny. I'm sure Alex would agree. Uh, and, you know, we, we apologize for a little bit longer episode here. But we had a lot to cover in that intro. We haven't recorded an episode in a little bit, so we had to go through the Southampton-Sevilla game, uh, you know, recapping those. And uh, Peter and I did some nice predictions uh, lineup-wise for the game against Manchester United on Saturday. Again, at 12.30 p.m. if you're on the eastern coast. Uh, and then if you want to go to 5, if you want to go to. If you're in England, that'll be at 5.30 p.m. Wherever you're listening, please subscribe to Talking Blues. Go follow us on Twitter at Talking Blues Pod. Uh, we're growing a following there, so we appreciate everyone who's been you know, kind of following us on there. Uh, that's really, really great for us, and it really helps us out. And then what else helps us out is if you go on Apple Podcasts or iTunes or wherever you're listening and you're able to drop a rating and review. And and we're hopefully going to be able to get some more ratings and reviews, and that would be great for us. So we would really appreciate it. Again, give us five stars. Uh, and at least share with one friend, share with friends and family, and share out on Twitter. And then go tag us at Talking Blues Pod so we know that you did so, and we'll shout you out on the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. This is a wrap for episode 10. We've gotten 10 episodes here on Talking Blues. Very, very nice little tiny, tiny milestone. We're going to keep on pumping out episodes at least once a week for all of you. So we appreciate that you've made it to the end of this one. And that's a wrap for episode number 10 of Talking Blues. Welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast. I'm Bill. And I'm Jason. And this is the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. So whether you're a brain, a jock, a valley girl, or a Jedi, we've got some 80s classics for you. Do these movies stand the test of time? 
Are we discovering something new? Is there an 80s movie we're finally watching for the first time? Join us each week as we dive into the cinematic nostalgia that inspired and influenced a generation. From the hits to the cult classics, we'll discuss our earliest memories, favorite scenes, fun facts, and our not-so-favorite movie moments, too. It's the All 80s Movies Podcast, now available on all major streaming platforms. Please subscribe and happy listening.